I'm always waiting for one of these days. Whenever at the, you know, we all know we sit down at the end of that song, uh, whatever song before the sermon, and uh, whenever Ray said, in the church said, I, I just wanted to hear someone say, sit down. Wait, that's where my mind went, but I wouldn't quite be appropriate in that regard, would it? <laughs> oh, Ray, it's, I feel like we've been missing each other. With, uh, I've, I've been out, you've been out a little bit. It's good to see you, and it's good to have you up here uh, leading our singing this morning. It's been, it's been a blessed time of worship and a good time together. I got to thinking, and maybe you've had this thought before in uh, your conversations or just in general. Have you ever noticed that... Uh, we don't use too many of our youth in our worship service. That thought ever crossed your mind? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever noticed? That? I have several parents that are like, mm-hmm, been watching that. Uh, maybe some grandparents, maybe others that are, are keen on looking at these things. Or maybe it's never crossed your mind, which I'm not, there's nothing wrong if it's never crossed your mind. But you know, there's something about the way we do things and have done them that seems to perpetuate itself. And so if it's always been a, a, a gentleman's game, if it's always been the guys up front are of a certain age, then it's easier to continue that. I, I feel the weight of this all the time. In fact, um, just this past Wednesday, I went up and, and spoke at a summer series in, in Durant at 7th and Beach. Um, that was a really awesome congregation there. Great, great people, enjoyable uh, time to speak in their summer series. I spoke, and I, I had a pretty decent sermon, if I thought so myself. And afterwards, I was told that. But it was always, it's always interesting how people tell me, uh, especially people that don't know me, hey, you did a good sermon. A uh, comment that I heard, and I've heard this multiple times, is, man, that was a good sermon for someone so young. <laughs> Thanks. And that's a great compliment for someone so old. I don't know. I, what do I say to that? I mean, oh, thank you. Okay, I am fully aware that I am young, and it's not anything I can do about it. And you may be older. There's not a thing you can do about that either, right? It just happens. But so often we have categorized our church, our lives, into what the youth can do and what the adults can do. And we often, we think of it in our minds saying, well, the youth, they're more, they're youthful. They've got this energy, inexperience. They might mess things up, but they're going to be excited about doing it. And the old may have the wisdom, and, and it may be whatever. And, and then I look at this and say, but that's not always the case, because I'm going to pick on Ray right here. Ray, I know, is old. <laughs> Stress that term. But he's got energy. I mean, I want the kind of energy he has whenever I grow up, you know? And wisdom isn't always something that is just held among the older generation, right? How many of you have been put to shame by some of our kids in the questions and the thoughts that they have, spiritually speaking? You're like, man, I need that. I need to understand that. See, so often we ha have just been accustomed to separating these two ideas, thinking, well, the young can't do that yet. They'll get their chance. They're the church of tomorrow. A horrible expression. They are the church of today, every bit as much as you are. We're part of this together. But we get this thought even in the world that, well, kids can't do this. Kids can't do that. 
There's been a few people that have really pushed the bounds upon that. Age six, Christopher Beale became the first, or the youngest published male author. There you go. Age 13, Jordan Romero became the youngest person to climb Mount Everest. That's not a small feat. Two years later, he had accomplished the big seven, the highest points on all seven continents, age 15. At age 14, Bobby Fischer won the U.S. chess championship. Age 15, he became a grandmaster of chess. That doesn't happen often. Age 23, Speaking about things that should be left for those with the older experience, mm -hmm. George Custer was named Brigadier General in the U.S. Army. Sometimes age, sometimes the number that you put on how old you are is not an indication of the kind of person you are or what you can or can't do. We often let it feel like that but it's not the case. We're picking up our study in 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're focusing. And here, when Paul is talking about the love of the church that he has, that he has so dear this love for the church, he is encouraging this young minister, this ministerial rookie in an established older church, how to lead well. In chapter 4, he gives a lot of um, just this personal excitement and, and advice and even encouragement to this young guy who might be thought, as, thought of as a young guy. He says, don't let that bother you. We'll get to that part whenever he talks about that. We're first going to start with where Paul does in this chapter. Whenever he's encouraging uh, the, this young minister to be an example, to lead well. He starts off with a familiar message, familiar message that he's already kind of dealt with in chapter 1. He says, you've got to make sure that your teaching is in line. If you're going to lead well, it doesn't matter your age, your teaching has to be in line. So he starts off with this. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites, liars, their consciences are dead. Paul's telling Timothy, hey, don't be surprised when people turn away from the faith. Those of us who are sold out for Jesus, who have bought into this lifestyle, are sometimes caught off guard when someone walks away from it. You're like, how could you? I mean, we, those of us in the faith, we go to a funeral of a non-believer and we're like, how does this even compute? I don't know how to do a funeral with no hope. And to watch someone walk away from that without the hope, like, how do you do that? Paul tells Timothy, hey, look, don't be surprised because guess what? The devil is alive and well, and he is working hardest among the church family to bring them away from the church. And so don't be surprised whenever deceptive spirits, whenever people start falling into the newest fad or the different theology that might be being taught and preached and thought of. This is, this is, this is something that he's already dealt with in chapter 1, saying, hey, this is... Don't be surprised. But now he gives a couple specific examples. He says this, They say it is wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. I really don't know how those are correlated together 
Um, maybe they're not. Maybe they're two separate ideas. But he says, here's two things that they're saying. It's wrong to be married, and it's wrong to eat certain foods. What they're saying, this is a form of legalism. Okay, legalism is bashed in chapter 1, and he continues saying, why go that route? That's not the route of salvation. That is not the route that honors God to simply have a legalistic view. And he says, their view is saying that true spirituality, to be a true, truly spiritual person, you have to be single and on a diet. That's what he's saying. And I'm like, Amen. I go, like, there is nothing about that that sounds exciting to me. But that's what they're saying because this is new knowledge that we have. Paul goes on to say, look, God created these foods to be eaten. To be eaten, he created them good. And we shouldn't reject it just uh, without receiving it with thanks. We know it's made acceptable by the word of God in prayer. That means that, you know, that greasy hamburger that you know, some of you may be thinking about or ready to have at lunch, it, can be, it may not be good for the body, but it can be good for the soul whenever you receive it by the Word of God and by prayer. So pray over it, make sure. But the thing is, these are teachings that people are trying to pull people away from the church, away from Christianity, away from Christ. And don't give in to it, Timothy. And church, don't give in to it either. Don't give in to these thoughts and to these different ideas. What Paul continues is he says, if you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. There's two ideas in this passage that almost seem contradictory. He says to first, hey, you're going to be well thought of. It's going to be a good thing, Timothy, if you explain the negatives of this legalism to, peop to the brothers and sisters. That's a good thing. Explain to them why to not be caught by Satan's traps. But then in the next verse he says, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. I believe that there's a difference between explaining and arguing, but a lot of us have forgotten that. We miss that, because we think our explanations are best said in argumentative tone, that when we explain certain things, especially about religion, we come across pretty argumentative. And I think this difference uh, is really hit upon this church of yesteryear. We, we took great pride in the fact that we could win most every argument. Those debates that would go around throughout the country, we were phenomenal at it. And it taught us growing up that this is how we needed to approach others. We need to be able to debate them. I grew up understanding how to debate the Baptists. I knew their theology and I knew why it was wrong. And I was going to tell them. You know what? To this date, I'm not sure I've ever converted a single Baptist by telling them where they're wrong. By debating them. And our track record of winning souls for Christ through the debates is pretty bad. Because the opposite is probably more true. In our debating, we have probably turned more people away from Christ than to Christ. Because we have spent our time 
arguing about godless ideas and old wives' tales. But instead, Paul tells Timothy, explain. That doesn't mean we go away from the truth. It doesn't mean that we're soft on certain places in Scripture that are hard, a hard pill to swallow. Mm-mm. You explain these things. In fact, I, the picture that I kind of want to get in your mind of explaining is whenever you have a little kid at home that has tons of questions. You know, why is this? Why is that? Why does this work? There's part of you that wants to just be like, be quiet, child. I'm tired of this. But at the same time, you don't really want to stifle their curiosity because you know that their curiosity is going to serve them well. It's going to help them ask questions that get them to grow in their knowledge, in their understanding, and it's going to serve them so well. And so you don't want to stifle this, and you may, not, you may just want to say the answer, but the best thing to do is to explain it, to work through an explanation. And oftentimes, that's a long process to explain. But Paul tells Timothy, hey, you will be thought well of. You will do a service in the kingdom of God if you explain these things to the believers. Spend your time explaining, not debating. But that knowledge that he's talking about for explaining, that knowledge is not the only thing uh, to a Christian walk. Our teaching is not the only thing that we need uh, as, as we are good, faithful Christians. He goes on at the fa- last of that, instead, train yourselves to be godly. And so it's not just our teaching, it's also our training. Our training, he continues, says this, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the, ne- in the, life, to- and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers. So he is talking about our training. It's not about just what we teach. It's also how we act. That is very important. And our actions are directly related to what we have been training for. If you haven't trained, your actions are going to show it. But if you have trained, this is, this is true. In, put this in the sports arena. I was a basketball player, and, and we had practice. Imagine that. And you know what we practiced whenever we would practice basketball? Well, we'd practice for hockey situations, right? No. We didn't practice math. We didn't practice social studies. We practiced the things that would come up on the basketball court. We practiced how to pass. We practiced how to shoot. We practiced our free throws. We practiced running. Okay, I don't think you practice running. You just run. But we did all those things because those things is what you will do in a game. Christians have missed the whole idea whenever we think that the gold star in our crown is to have the right Bible knowledge. It's not a bad thing to have the right Bible knowledge, but if all we do is sit around studying Scripture, we are going to be spiritually malnourished. The reason being is because, yes, we need the right intake, but we also need to put into practice what we've been understanding. Because what we do, how we act, is also part of the equation. It's not just about our teaching. It is about our training. And whenever these things come together, then we're on to something. 
then we start looking more and more like Christ. And Paul is leading up in this chapter for this moment for Timothy to speak very specifically to him. But in, in, in regard to all of us, it applies. But he's leading up saying, Our, your teaching has to be right. Your training has to be for righteousness. And in so doing, your example is going to be worthy. The example that you have. Paul knew that Timothy was a young guy in an established church. That's a hard place to be. It's not an easy thing to walk in to be a young guy in an older church. You want to know the hardest demographic for a young minister to reach in his ministry? I know this from experience. Men older than him. If for some odd reason, it is not hard to have an influence and relationship with just about anyone else but to talk spiritually, it is difficult for a young minister to have much influence over a man older than him. Haven't figured out the whole, why that works. I just know it from experience and I know it from studies. It's not an easy place to be and Timothy is right there and so Paul tells him, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, in your faith, and your purity. He was, Paul was very aware that people are going to look at Timothy and say, man, you're too young to be giving me spiritual advice. You're too young to be doing this or that in the church. You're not old enough to come and stand up here and do the things that the older folks have been doing. It's not, we get it in our heads, man, they're going to mess it up. It's okay. Again, I'm going to point to Ray. That was a fantastic job. Your mic was off and you said, hey, everybody, church, let's stand up and greet one another while I fix my mic. Things like that happen and it's a mess up somewhere along the path, but you learn to go with it. You learn to move forward because the mess ups are not the biggest things Training to be an example, that's what's important. And if we miss the training ground, we're going to miss the example ground as well because we're not training. Anyone of any age can set an example. What Paul's telling Timothy here is, look, don't just expect people to respect you because of the position you hold. Maybe that's a message all of us need to hear. Don't expect people to respect you just because of the position you hold. You may say, we live in a world now where the young people don't respect the old. Yeah, it's possibly true. But you also live in a world that has a wonderful side benefit. That respect now is earned. More than it has been in the past. It has to be earned. Of all generations, it has to be earned. And so maybe our young people need to, to recognize, look, we may not put you into the places where we know you could be. We may not look like we are excited that you're here and that we want you to be a part of this worship. But let no one, let no one look down on, upon you just because you're young. Because age 
doesn't matter in the kingdom of God. All souls are welcome. But maybe us older folks, or even older than me, need to also hear that the converse of this passage is also true. Let no one pay honor to you just because you're old. Now, I'm still, we're still going to teach respect your elders. We should. But that's only going to go so far. You see, if you're not respect-worthy, respectful, then they're not going to continue respecting you. And so let no one just give you honor only on the basis that you have years. Because years in the kingdom of God is not what matters. Your age, even since you've been baptized, I'm saying, well, I, I was baptized 30 years ago. Great. What you done since? Because maturity is not based upon the age that you put for your life, from your birthday. Maturity is based upon something that is in you. And you can be a pretty mature five-year-old. You can be a pretty mature 30-year-old. You can be a pretty mature 60-year-old, but you can also be a horribly immature 72-year-old or 58-year-old or whatever because maturity is not about your age. And Paul, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, look, it's, don't let no one look uh, down upon you because you're young. Paul knows Timothy and he says, look, you are spiritually mature. And they need what you have. They need it. So don't be shy. Don't let them think less of you. It's a message we need to hear. And he goes on to say, be an example then. Be an example how? To all believers, how are we going to do this? In what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. This is... Regardless of age, this is how you be an example. You put into practice the things you've been training for in righteousness. So the things that you say should be respect worthy. The way that you live, whenever others on the outside are watching, even whenever you think no one else is watching, are you living an example that other people should follow? In the way that you love. This is always a huge one to me because it's so easy to look at someone and say they love well. You can look at their marriage. You can look at just how they treat others. You especially can watch how they drive and how they relate to those that get on their nerves. You will see love in them or not. And that right there is an example. Because when you see someone that is full of love, even in, to the most unlovable and in the hardest situations, they're the kind of person I want to be like. And so do you in their faith. People who have gone through a journey of their faith, they've gone through the, to the valley of the shadow of death and have lived to tell about it. They're an example to the rest of us. Their purity. There's something about remaining pure, not just in the sexual sense, although it's there too. There's something about remaining pure that people take notice. Because your training is put into practice. And whenever your training is put into practice in righteousness, you are an example. To close out this little section, Paul then sends this, uh, this kind of a, a foresight into the future. 
and he talks about our triumph. Verse 16, he says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. So putting those two things together, your teaching and your living, stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. It is, I wish that it weren't the case. I wish this never happened, but it is, it is often there, it seems, that you hear about some spiritual leader who has led a lot of people to Christ. And I'm not even talking about some televangelist or some you know, church over there. I'm talking about even in our own brotherhood. Someone who has had a huge influence in the kingdom of God, and then they themselves get caught in adultery. They get caught in sin, and they turn away from the faith themselves. Just That leaves a horrible feeling just in your gut. And Paul's telling Timothy, look, you cannot give to someone what you don't currently hold on to. You have got to hold on to your own salvation because you can't offer Christ's salvation to other people if you haven't received it yourself. Paul was very keenly aware to this. In 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. He's saying, look, every one of us has to take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. You have got to do this training. You have got to understand the teaching. You have got to be the right example yourself if you ever are going to have a hope of affecting others. But even if you do the affecting of others without the training and the example in yourself, you might miss it. You may be an example to others, but you might miss it yourself because your heart isn't right. So Paul is reminding Timothy, look, the wages of this are pretty high. You have got to get this right. In your teaching, in your training, in your life, in your example, and there will be triumph. And this is regardless of age, because following Christ is a lifelong journey. You never get there in this life. You are always striving for more and more Christ-likeness. That's the purpose, that's the goal, that's what it looks like to be human and a Christian. You see, God can use all of his children for his glory and our good doesn't matter the age because age has nothing no important no value in the kingdom of god souls have value so it doesn't matter if you're one of our kids you're in the youth group you're in your 20s your 30s your 40s your 50s your 60s 70s 80s 90s anyone here in 100 doesn't matter there either god can use every one of us for his glory and our benefit as part of the church whenever we recognize that the example is not hinged upon the age. May we, as a church, do a better job in the training ground of whatever age we may be, because every person needs a little bit more training in righteousness to be more what God has called them to be. But may we even do a better job with our youth, with our young adults, with our brand new Christians, and may we also continue to spur on our senior saints 
that they may not fall and miss the triumph that they've been working so hard their life. Like Timothy, God has given each one of us a gift. Let's not neglect using those gifts. So this morning, if you're in a place where you need just that extra encouragement for the situation that you're in, to be the good example, to have the training to set uh, the, the standard in, you, in your job, in your school, in your business, whatever it may be, just even at the grocery store, if you need some extra prayers from a church family that wants you to be the best example possible, we'd love to pray with you. If you're in a place where you would really like to get more involved, elders and ministers surround the auditorium, this is a great time. Come and talk to one of us. We'll talk to you about a place to get involved. That's spiritual. That's good. Use this time. Or if you just need prayers or anything from the congregation, would you let it be known right now as we stand and as we sing?